if you could all turn around and look to the back where I'm pointing here. Our vision statement, which I realized... Oh, everybody's looking at Judith. Oh, hi, Judith. Everybody wave at Judith. So this is our vision statement, prioritizing God's presence as a community known for his love, reproducing disciples of Jesus who manifest Holy Spirit power here, near, and far. Hoorah! So we're looking at prioritizing his presence. It's so easy to not keep staring at your vision. So keep looking at it, because that's what we're starting to see among us, and that's where we're going. And our first priority is always him. Prioritizing God's presence as a community known for his love, reproducing disciples of Jesus who manifest Holy Spirit power here, near, and far. In this church, we prioritize his presence in everything that we do. And as I wrote that down, I thought, is that true? And that is true. When I'm meeting with you, I'm thinking, what is he up to? When we're putting things together, we're thinking, what is he up to? When we're worshiping, we want to worship him. When we're speaking, we want to prioritize what he's prioritizing. And thank you to Nathan for leading us every week in what you do. We all appreciate everything that you do for us. We're discovering that worship has a destination, and that destination is the presence of the Spirit of Christ among us. Psalm 22, verse 3, You are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Now, I could find you a translation that's a bit more ghetto, but I really like this one. You are holy, O you who are enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word is yashab, which means to dwell, to be enthroned, to inhabit, to live, to be married to, to occupy, to remain, to sit down in. Can you imagine that? The father just comes and sits down in his easy chair. Did all of your grandparents have the chairs? Yeah? I don't, think, I don't know whether it's so much of a thing now, but mine, uh, we call them Nanny and Nanda. When I say Nanda, they're like, Nanda? Really? Nanda? Yes, it was special to me, all right? But anyway, they, they had their two chairs, and they never would have sat in the other's chair. It just was their chair. In fact, when you sat on it, it was like, I need to get out of this because you'd be half scared you're going to turn into your nanny or your... Anyway, moving swiftly on. It's a bit like that. Whenever we worship, God makes himself comfortable. And we want him to be at his ease here, don't we? And for him to be at his ease, well, we don't necessarily need to be at our ease. But the more that we are at our ease, the more that he's just going to... Oh, this is home. We want God to be in our houses and in this house and to go... Oh, this is mine. This is my home. It means to stand. It means to stay. and means to take his seat. And it means that he also waits. Johnny at 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm going to tell an Isaac and an Anna story. No, not again. If it gets too old, me talking about my children, I'm really sorry, but you're just going to have to get used to it. So whenever Isaac was born, about six weeks uh, into him being with us, I said, I was just starting to figure out this whole mother and son thing. It's a wee bit scary. So I said, Claire, would you, would you close your eyes for a minute? And she was like, what? And I said, would you close your eyes? She closes her eyes. I said, just imagine that we're in church and it's the day that Isaac is, is getting married. Tears start to fall down her face. And I thought, he is six weeks old. Fast forward about, say, five years and we're sitting at the dinner table and we're all finished eating and I was just having a bit of a laugh. And all of a sudden, Isaac starts to sing. And he starts to sing about his mummy. Mommy, you're so lovely. You have the loveliest eyes and the roundest head. No, he didn't say that. And you're so pretty. And mommy, I just love you. I love you with all my heart. 
tears start to fall down Claire's face. And Anna and I look at each other and go, (laughs) why are you moved when your son sings to you? That's for you to answer. Because he's your boy. Why were you moved when he sang those things to you? all he wants is your heart you move the father's heart when you tell him what you're thinking or what you're really thinking not when you tell him what you think that he wants to hear you move him when you sing your silly little songs and if you don't think that that's true then you need to overcome that because it really really is Often when you're prepping for a message or it's a new series, sometimes if you listen to your life, there's uh, things that are hidden in it and things that happen that are really helpful for what you want to communicate on the Sunday. And I was listening to Graham Cook. Are many of you familiar with Graham Cook? He's really easy to listen to. has a very monotone voice. Um, I heard him speak once and just a really, really interesting guy. And one of the few that when you listen to him, you're listening to a guy who really knows the Father. He, he just really knows him. The way he talks about him, it's so familiar but respectful, but just, just full of love for him. And anyway, during this week, I'm listening to him uh, just give a series of about intimacy with God while I'm talking about the numbers and making the orders. And what really hit me was he was telling this story, and he said he had these guys that kept coming to the front of the church and were really heckling him and saying that they disagreed with what he was doing and all this. And he had really getting frustrated with them. And he tells this story of he had this dream. And in the dream, he's sitting on the father's throne beside him. And he has his head lent in really, really close. And the father's got his arm around him. And they're just, they're just having a chat. And he says, hey, Graham, where do you see this? And he tells this story about what's happening. That actually, that the father's using these guys that are heckling him to forge the image of Christ within him. So he had this totally different outlook to uh, the guys that were coming to the meetings. In fact, he started to look forward to them. That wasn't what hit me. What hit me was he was sitting on the throne with his head leaning into the Father, and the Father was going, Graham, I can't wait to show you this. And in that moment, when I was sitting in work, and I'm starting to get really emotional, thing, and they're all introverts, so they're not really noticing me anyway, which is wonderful. So I could weep my eyeballs out and start to wail, and they haven't got a blinking clue because they're not really valuing people. They're all about the numbers and getting it right. So I could be sitting there going, <laughs> and somebody would lift their heads and go, what is that noise? And then, are you all right? So I was sitting there, and in that moment, I thought, I thought I had this whole thing that I'm really loved by God. And sometimes I do, but what I've missed is that I'm really loved by him like that all the time. All the time. Every minute. And this week, I've been putting that to the test. In every circumstance that I've been in, when things are difficult, particularly going, I'm loved like that all the time. And that changes everything. I've started to pray with, I was, uh, I was during the week, we would always pray with our children when we we're putting them to bed. And um, I started to pray with Anna. But what I did was I talked to him like I've always hoped that he would be, as if he is, because he is. And lo and behold, he comes. I said, Anna, do you feel that? And she went, oh, huh? And I did the same with Isaac. And I went into his room and I started to talk about this God who 
who just wants me close to him and really likes me and is desperate to show me things and is really kind and is at ease with himself and really enjoys me. And it's just really nice to be around. And I started to talk to that father for my son, to my son. And I said, do you feel that? And I said, that's making me cry. He loves us all the time. We want to talk about worship, not for the function of worship, but because of him. Claire was moved because her little boy sang, I think you're really pretty. I love your big blue eyes. You're so lovely, mommy. Because she heard his heart. So before we start any of this, as you go, we're only just starting. Before we start any of this, get that picture inside your head and close your eyes and for goodness sake, see yourself leaning your head against the Father's head on the throne and him going, where do I show you this? And it's not that it's a once in a lifetime thing, it's that that's the reality all the time. Jesus Christ died to deal with your stuff so that you could realize that you're sitting on the throne beside your Father, head lent in really close and he wants to share things with you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when we're talking about knowing, Andrew's used this word, it's gnosko, to properly to know, especially through personal experience, first-hand acquaintance, experientially to know. You need to know that he really loves you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're talking about the importance of worship. What does it mean to worship? Well, in English, uh, the word worship means literally means worth-ship, and at its simplest, it's to give worth to something. It refers to the worthiness of God to receive special honor, reverence, and praise. So when we worship God, we're acknowledging and declaring his worth. We're telling him who he is. That's our praise. He inhabits our praises. So when we do that, we're telling him who he actually is. The New Testament Greek word is proskuneo, which means to move towards, to kiss. So what is he worthy of for you? And I want to make two key points in regard to worship. Worship has to do with bowing down to the object or to the person that we're worshiping. And worship has to do with intimacy of relationship. Romans 12, 1, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So worship is expressed in a worship service and in how we live our lives. So it's not just about the times when we're actually singing to him. We can worship him at any time, which is what I'm doing when I go Let me just reorientate myself to that I'm the son sitting close to the father. I don't need to be afraid of him. But actually, do you know, part of me when I was communicating this thought, I wonder will there be some people being concerned? Well, the Bible talks an awful lot about discipline. Well, when we're being disciplined, we need to know that it's in the context of love. God said that he would never leave us physically, right? And he would never forsake us, which is emotional abandonment, right? So we need to know that when we're being disciplined, we're being disciplined in the context of someone who's never going to go away from us physically, and he's never going to go away from us emotionally. And for some of us, the emotional abandon is more terrifying than the physical abandonment. So he's never, ever going to leave us. So you want to talk about discipline. God wants to talk about discipline too. 
And for him to be able to do that, it's most safely done in the context of a relationship where you know that he loves you. So he's never going to abandon you, but he will tell you off. And he will say, you stop that now. And he will give you the consequences of what it is that you're doing. All in the context of he will never leave you and he will never ever forsake you. So a definition of worship is the endeavor of freely giving an expression of our love to God. And we want to grow in our liberty of expression and of our worship to God. Have you found any more freedom as you worship? Yes. If you're not finding more freedom as you worship, the problem, sorry to say this to you, is on your side. One of the things that can really help you is just close your eyes. What that does is it shuts out everything else. And you can start to go, I'm the son or the daughter sitting on the throne beside my father. Now, how does that change how you worship a God who loves you like that? We are to love him, as it says in Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with your whole being. And it's a process of learning. This stuff isn't instantaneous. So if for you, it's all about awkward when you come into worship, and actually you don't feel as awkward as you do anywhere else and when you come into worship, that's all right. It's a learning process. And the little bits of gold, like closing your eyes or opening out your hands, not because we all want to be robots, oh, and then DCB, they have to do this, so they have to do, you know, the, what is it, the carry the TV? or the screw in the light bulb, or there's another one like this. It's like the Karate Kid one. (sighs) It's not that we all have to be the same, but it's a physical expression of what's actually going on in your heart. With our whole being. And to love someone, to love a person, you love them primarily by loving what they love. If I want to really connect with Claire, I'll do what she likes to do. I'll watch what she likes to watch. Never used to like watching the stuff that we watch now. Now I love it. I did it primarily because I wanted to watch it with her. So we love what he loves to the degree that he loves it. So to love anybody, find out what they really enjoy. Find out what they like to do. Worship is your personal expression of love to God from your whole being. It's yours. So you've got to own that. What can you give him? You can get inspiration from other people. That's one thing I learned in art college. We're influenced by lots and lots of different things. Sometimes we're influenced more by the negatives than by the positives. But we can look around. That's the joy of Pinterest, isn't it? It gives you ideas. Oh, they worship like that. Andrew does this twirly thing sometimes. So other people do this. Other people are very quiet. Some people are really just... Sometimes I'll close my head and put my hand like that. Sometimes people are looking out in nature because it inspires them. So... Find something that works for you and find that us connection, but it's got to be your worship for him. And that verse in Mark says that we're to love God with all our heart, and that word means our volitional desire, our choice, which is basically our will. We're to love God with our whole soul, which really is the root word for our psyche, our whole personality, so who he's made us to be. That's how we love him with that. We love him with our mind, which is our understanding, intellect, and our insight. And we love him with our strength, which is our ability, our force, our strength, and our might. So we love him with the totality of who we are. We give him everything that we've got. It's unrestricted, 
and it's unrestrained. It is your worship to him. We're not to worship anyone or anything but him. Exodus 34, 14, For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And he knows that whenever he has all of you, that actually he can trust you with other things. So he's got to be first. So I want to ask you the difficult question of, what's the most important thing in your life? To be able to love him first, we have to be able to recognize what position he's actually in. So don't be afraid. If he loves us like he's close to us and wants to share things to us, we don't need to be afraid of loss of relationship if actually we're valuing our relationship with him somewhere below where it should be. Okay? So is it a relationship that's your main priority? Is it a job or your family? Is it uh, your home or is it going on holiday? Is it football? Is it your appearance? Is it how many likes you get on social media? Is it your feelings? I was uh, showering this, this morning, sorry for the mental picture, but uh, the, the shower gels that I have are the Redox ones. I only have those ones because they're a pound, and also only have those ones because it does your hair and your body and it's less effort. Uh, but it was saying, feel active, feel invigorated. It's all about feelings, isn't it? Well, if I feel that way, then that's true. It's not how we live. So if it's your feelings, well, I don't feel like worshiping God today. If that's your stance, then it's not actually about him. Can you see that? When we're in those places, you can and maybe should get slightly excited because there's opposition. And the opposition doesn't look like you thought it would look like. It just feels like can't be bothered. That's the very moment that you need to be bothered because beyond that feeling, I guarantee you, is a moment with the Father. All of these things that I've just listed, even football, has its place. But everything has to have its place underneath prioritizing his presence first. And if there are things that as you think about that, you discover, actually, I've put that other thing first. If you start to put him first, those things that should be in your life, we're not talking about living like a monk. We're talking about enjoying life in all its fitness. But the only way that you can do that is if you have him first. And as you do that, everything else clicks into its place and its position. Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. And to have something that you love added to you by God is an absolutely wonderful thing. So put him first. What you worship has a hold on your heart. And we cannot wait to enjoy the thing that we worship. And we cannot wait to be in the presence of the thing that we worship. Matthew 6, 33 again. Seek first his presence and his kingdom. And Psalm 37, 4, which is a personal favorite. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the sad truth is that if you don't bow your knee to Christ, you'll bow it to something or someone else. So bow your knee to him. It can seem nearly offensive. What this God wants us to... For us to have our allegiance to him, he does absolutely. Does he want to do it because he's a megalomaniac? No, because you were built for him. And you were built for him first. And C.S. Lewis said that we're like a car that runs on petrol. If you put anything else into it, it's not going to work. It might chug along for a while, but whenever you run on him, you will run smoothly and all the pistons will fire and you will go somewhere. 
So the question is, are you an abandoned worshiper? It doesn't have to look like this all the time. Sometimes it can look like, can I make a cup of coffee for you? Sometimes it can look like just standing quietly and thinking, well, what would the father do? Oh, why, that's right, he's not angry all the time. I always thought that he was angry. I didn't think that, but this week I realized how much I'm kind of nervous for him to get annoyed with me half the time, and that's not who he is. Worship must be from our spirit and a truthful expression of love. This is uh, from John 4, 21 to 24. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth, in honesty. We want to be real. We don't want to have to uh, build things up more than they are and do this false positive reality. Nor do we want to yield to the fact that, oh, this is just awful. We can come to him going, God, I'm exhausted. And I have to be honest, the the last thing that I want to do in my soul is come and worship you. But I'm here and I love you. That's real and that's honest. He's not expecting you to come and fluff it and tell him things that you don't know. We can all spot it. Let's just worship. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord? Isn't it just great to be here? Hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. What we really mean is I can't be bothered. I'm really bored. I'd rather be someone else. There's something on that I'd like to watch. I'd rather be either washing the car or reading the papers, drinking a nice cup of coffee, down in one of those cafes in the Lisburn Road, having a wonderful time. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. No, this is, this is an act of obedience. And this is an act of worship. And what do you know when we get there? He's here. I'm so glad that I came. He's here among us. Oh, a cup of coffee in the Sunday times can wait. But we want to be honest about where we're at. Some worship what they don't know, meaning that they've no intimacy, which is religion. God requires us to worship him in spirit, not in intellect and in truth, really knowing him and him really knowing us. You may know something about someone, but when they come and tell you that because they want to tell you that, you get to know them in a whole other way. God knows us absolutely, but there is something that he cannot make us do, nor does he want to, which is that out of our own wills we choose him and share what's in our hearts to him. That's why he's moved. Claire knows that her boy adores her. But when her boy sits across the table and sings, Mommy, you're so lovely. I love your pretty hair. I love the way you love me. Your hugs are amazing. She didn't force it out of him. It just popped out out of nowhere. And she was moved by his heart. Do you not think the Father is moved by yours? Worship often requires a sacrifice for it to be expressed. And what I want to say is you get what you pay for. The enemy's all about buy now, pay later. Oh, well, give you it all. Oh, you can have, oh, have everything that you want and you'll be paying for it forever. But with God, you get what you pay for. Hebrews thirteen fifteen, through him then being Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And this is from 2 Samuel 24, 24. 
and this is King David. And the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. I remember being in work, and you may think this is ridiculous, or you may not, but I had one cup of coffee to make through my fancy dripper. And the Lord said, would you offer it to somebody else? And I was like, oh. So one thing that I really look forward to throughout the day. And I was like, all right. And I offered it to somebody else. That's an act of worship. Those big grandiose things that people can do. Yes, they're worship. But do you see the little things? Sometimes it's the little things that are the most expensive. Give them those. Do you love anyone enough? Your last role, though? That's a brilliant ad. There's a spiritual truth in that. That thing that you don't want to do, the cup of tea that you don't want to make for your spouse, or that place that you can't be bothered going to, or that last fiver that you'd set aside for the Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever it is, those little things can sometimes be the big things. Give him what has cost you something. And is your worship going to be subjective or objective? Subjective by the means of how you feel and all about you or objective as in it's all about him? The challenge of worship, remaining objective, refusing to submit worship to feelings or to sickness or to circumstance, it requires a sacrifice. And we settle the issue of worship when we see him. If you read Isaiah uh, chapter 6, I'm not going to go through it right now, but if you go through it, you will see that when Isaiah saw the Lord, it was in worship. When he saw him, he got a vision of him. And the results of seeing the Lord were that he saw himself as he actually is. He began to experience God's holiness. He saw his own sin. God didn't have to point it out to him and say, you need to deal with that. When we're around someone or something that is of holiness, don't we all go, oh, I really need to deal with that thing. We don't actually need somebody to point stuff out to us, although sometimes that can be very helpful. But when we're around God, we just become aware of the things that we need to deal with. And often it's in worship that God deals gently with our sin because he gives us our mercy. I've been reminded so many times you were harsh with someone this morning or you, you were a wee bit just arrogant the way you said that or Colin, you need to be a bit more kind there. And also the times when they go, well done, you did that really well. Thank you for that. Thanks for giving that person that cup of coffee. They really needed that. Here's a bag of your favorite. <laughs> he's really kind and he's really good. So it's in worship that we begin to see these things. John 16, verse 8, And when he comes, being the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's just a part of who he is. Isaiah saw his cleansing when he saw the Lord. He repented and received forgiveness, and Isaiah saw his calling. So let God engage you in worship. When we do this call for ministry response at the end um, today, let God engage you in worship. Be expectant when you come. He wants to meet with you. We become like him when we worship him. Let me read this from Psalm 115. 
Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet and they cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Worship establishes the direction of our lives, and we become like Jesus as we worship him. Nathan, can I get you guys to come up? And those who only know Christ in a legal way will have difficulty becoming like him because they're devoid of seeing him and experiencing him. The formula of if I act a certain way, then somehow I'm going to worship him does not work because you're dealing with the person. And that person knows you full well. We have to come to him as we are with our act of worship. And worship transforms us because it determines our values, God's presence among us, among his people, our priorities that we put him first, and our practices that we're going to become uh, who we're worshiping and how we go about that. And it's when we worship God in spirit and in truth that we establish what we're going to bow down to. It has to do with submission of our hearts and our lives to him. It has to do with who we're going to seek in regard to our pursuits and our direction for life. And worship establishes what we will discover about ourselves. What, God, what glory will be derived from our lives and in our lives. So this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's stand together as I read this. Can I ask you just to close your eyes? I want you to really hear this and what it's communicating. But we all, we all of us, every one of us here, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory just as from the Lord he is the Spirit but we all with unveiled faces so we want to ask you is there something in the way is there something that you're unwilling to really fess up to him and if there is you really want to deal with that because it's going to be a blocker between you and he and you don't want there to be anything between you and him if you're scared remember what I communicated This is all in the context of love. You're sitting beside him, cozying in. He loves you. He's not going anywhere. He's emotionally not going to leave you, nor physically is he going to leave you. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory, just as from the Lord is the Spirit. So there's always some questions to help you to respond. Are you beginning to see God more clearly? And would you like to see him even more clearly? Are there areas of your life that need reprioritized by putting him first? And then finally, do you want to become free to sing your song to God? If you can answer yes to any of these, or you just want worship, please come and join me now at the front. us and you will never forsake us 
And if you're here this morning and it all seems a bit cold inside, and all seems a bit empty, realign yourself with the truth. He promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And it says in Luke 11 that if we ask the Father for his spirit, he will always, always give us what we ask for, overflowing and in abundance. So with that truth in mind, Lord, and liberated from any lie, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come now and to increase your presence. We know it takes you to worship you. Come, Holy Spirit.